is stick. The mob took his money, killed his best friend, then set him up as the fall guy. I want him to take it. Play around with those people. You're gonna get hurt. They're playing a deadly game. He owes me $5,000. And he's not about to be the loser. Because if you get him mad, you can be sure of one thing. Give me a hand! He's going to get even. Why don't you push me hard? You might hit the water. Burt Reynolds. You know what I came here to ask Candace Bergen. I don't know if I'm ready for you, Ernest. George Siegel. And Charles Durning in Stick. The only thing he couldn't do. So how you drink? That regular or apple? Was stick to the rules. Apple. I'll say good night. Everybody, and welcome to the Nightfly, another edition of the greatest podcast in America and probably worldwide. Today, September what, 18th? Uh, 17th, whatever, Tuesday, birthday, 18th. September 18th, day before Yom Kippur, when we Jews fast to uh, atone for our sins. And uh, which uh, actually, you know, at this point, nobody's really sure why we fast. But we do. One week removed. One day removed. I'm sorry, I'm taping this a week in advance. One day removed from my hair implants. (gasps) Yeah, that would be uh, yesterday. At this time, I'm taping this uh, a week before because I just got... So much you're going to do. Could I do it in the weekend? Yes, but I think I'm very uptight about this procedure. Who wouldn't be? People say, say people keep saying, is it painful? And my answer is yes. So I've heard. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if I'll make it back? Who knows? Maybe I'll die on the operating table. I don't think there is an operating table, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to die, but... Boy, would my friends really give me a send-off for that way. Oh, boy, if I die getting hair implants, transplants, whatever the hell they're called, Jesus Christ. Oh, boy, that, that's almost as bad if I had died on that glass table. I guess that's the way I'm going to end up going out anyway, so people can make fun of me at the, for the very last time. But I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. To hell with everybody. I'm going to outlive everybody just to prove a point. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. How about that, Sam Darnell? The New York Jets going to the Super Bowl. Yes. It's unbelievable. Anyway, here we are, and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Hello, everybody. And it is a great day of podcasting and a fun show we have in store for you. 
as usual. And uh, why would today be any exception? <laughs> How are you? So, um, taping this um, last week, uh, coming back from Rachel's wedding, I did what I set out to do, which was pull a 24-hour drink fest, which was my plan. When I got home on Friday night, uh, I kept getting texts from the Comedy Cellar which is kind of funny because I usually go down to the comedy cellar on Friday nights. I'm getting texts from the owner. I was getting texts from Marina. I was getting texts from Jeff Roth. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I am staying in tonight because I am planning a 24-hour drink fest the next day. It's like people just don't get it. You know, when you're in your 50s, you really got to plan ahead for that kind of stuff. So I did. I'd like to say it was pretty damn successful. So on Saturday, so Sam Morell, the uh, great comic, and Liz from the Comedy Cell, the manager there, uh, asked me if I can give them a lift to Rachel's wedding, which was in Staten Island. Rachel Feinstein, I'm talking about, marrying the captain of the FDNY, Peter Brennan. I mean, how many times did I have to tell her to change her name already? Now this is perfect. Rachel Brennan? Are you kidding? But she's not going to change it. Too successful. And when you say successful, really not. She should totally change it and start over. Anyway, um, so they wanted a ride. I'm like, well, I'd love to give you a ride, except I have a couple of errands I have to do before I, uh, you know, go to the wedding. And they're like, what kind of errands? And I was like, um, well, first I got to stop off to the Meadowlands and make my bets. And then I have to go to Staten Island to drop off some cash for the Monday night football pool. And then we can go to the wedding. And they're like, uh, that's okay, we'll rent the car. So I got out of that. But I so I could have stopped the Meadowlands one, you know, and then just gone to the... I still had to go to the bar in Staten Island so I could drop off the Monday Night Pool. I mean, but um, was, nothing was going to stop that. You know, we got that Monday Night Beautiful box pool where we just have the numbers for it. I mean, it's the best deal. It's like 300 bucks a box, but it's totally worth it because it lasts 17 seasons and the AFC and NFC championships. I mean, come on. It's like having a Super Bowl, Super Bowl pool every week. So it's always fun. And we usually win. If we lost this season, this would be the first time we've ever lost. We've been this our third year. So we're due to lose. But I still have high hopes. But uh, we lost on Monday night. That's all right. It's only the first week. You got to relax, baby. Even though there were two chances to win. That's not good. We had bad numbers. If we had seven and seven, we would have We've never gotten seven and seven. I've always wanted, or zero, zero. Oh, that would be awesome. We don't ever get the good numbers. I don't know why. I think we're due for that then, maybe. Anyway, the point of the story is, so uh, that's exactly what I did on Saturday. Saturday, I first of all, I got some new shirts because, you know, when I button my collar, my top collar, I'm doing it now. You can't see it. Uh, you know, I don't wear ties very often. I don't think anybody does anymore, except my friend Lee Maracas. And... Uh, you know, it hurts my my neck. It, it's always been red. I had a problem acne area when I was growing up in that area, so it's always bad. So I was trying to get a collar that was big enough that it's not going to bother me or make it look like I have the fattest chin of all time, you know, just like all this neck fat. Uh, so I had to go to the store and get it, which was really expensive, but it was like right next door to work. And I got two shirts, and one of them had those stupid French cuffs, which is so annoying because you got to wear cufflings. But um, 
it was successful. It wasn't bad. Like it didn't it didn't bother me. I was able to keep the tie on all night long without loosening it. But then they told me later at the tailgate that it was uh, all red. But that was, you know, I knew that was going to happen. But I was prepared. So I really prepared for this. And then, um, so I had breakfast with Jessica Pilot on Saturday. And I ate something substantial. Like I had eggs, which I was always nervous about. I thought they gave me diarrhea, but nothing. It was beautiful. But I had to, you know, I had some toast. Because I had not been eating carbs for three days so I could fit into the suit. We talked about this last week. And I actually did it. Like, I didn't eat any carbs for three days. I know it's just three days. But for me, somebody who's never dieted before, that was like a really big deal. So I was like really proud of myself that I was able to do it. And then, um, so I was like, no, I'm going to eat carbs today because I know, I know I'm not going to eat at the wedding. I don't eat at these things. It's horrible. All I want to do is sit myself down at whatever the buffet is or the thing and just eat like a pig. But you can't do that. So... I didn't eat anything and I knew, but I knew it, you know, so I knew it going in. So I, you know, hooked it up ahead of time. I took care of all the stuff. I don't know what else I had to do, but whatever grooming or primping or things I had to buy, I did it in advance, took a shower, put my suit on, went to the Meadowlands to make a bet. I don't know whether they thought like it's so ridiculous. You know, the people that are there are disgusting. So going in with the jacket and tie was kind of hilarious at three o'clock in the afternoon. They have all those degenerates there, but they must have thought I was a high roller, <laughs> and they didn't. Uh, but I cashed in a winning ticket, and I made two other bets, and they lost, but that's okay. And then I went to Staten Island, and I stopped at this bar, and I dropped off the money for this guy. And I was talking to the guy. We were watching the uh, Serena Williams uh, nonsense, and, uh, you know, I'm like, well, what am I doing? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a drink here. I'm going to sit down and have a drink in my jacket and tie at this disgusting bar. It's a very nice bar, but, you know, it's kind of gross. Um, and I had, like, a thing of Jameson, uh, which was great. And I just sat and I talked to the bartender a little bit. Now, I don't know if you saw the Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, Naomi Osaka uh, match uh, for the final uh, I mean, it's epically legendary. Serena Williams had a complete meltdown and just kept blaming the judge. Here's what happened. You owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. I have a daughter and I stand with right for her and I've never cheated. She's an idiot. Um, the judge was complaining that she was getting coaching from her coach from the stands. And so she find he find her or whatever, and she said, "I've never cheated." Now, meanwhile, she can say that all she wants, but the coach admitted he was cheating, so that makes her an asshole, and I don't like her anyway. You owe me an apology. And you hear the crowd going crazy. I I don't know what they're doing. I although when Macron used to do the crowd went crazy. I just don't like the Williams sisters. I don't care for them. I don't care for the nonsense. I have a daughter. I always teach her what's right. Plus, she was wrong, so she looks like an idiot. Serena was watching her coach give her a hand signal. So, um, yeah. So then, oh, so so then, so she breaks her. That's that was the thing. But then she she's calling it sexism that she wouldn't do that to a man. And then she breaks her racket and she gets another penalty. And then I, I mean. 
I don't know what she was complaining about. She's like, you need to apologize. I wasn't cheating. She was cheating. She should apologize. Now, finally, today, the Tennis Federation finally stood behind the umpire, which I can't believe it took like three, four, or five days to do. So ridiculous. I mean, the guy was just, the, the woman was screaming at her, and she was cheating, and she's like, you owe me an apology. She's a fucking idiot. And she deserved to lose. Uh, however, on the flip side of that, because I think um, Williams is pretty cool Like when she's not playing tennis. I just don't care for her nonsense. But this is the girl that won, and she is an actual idiot. Very happy to be here. Um, and yeah, I mean, it still feels a little bit surreal, but um, I think it's slowly sinking in. I think what was so cool that was when you were in third grade, you wrote a paper about someone you idolized, and that person was Serena Williams. And you said you colored it in. It was a whole thing. How did it feel knowing that you were going to be playing center court across from her? What did you say to yourself to give you the confidence to play that match? Um, well, actually, I was lucky enough. I've played her once before mm -hmm. in Miami. Um, and it just didn't feel that real because it was a Grand Slam this time. Um, and just watching her play in Grand Slam finals before when I was a kid, it felt really different. She's a... She's an idiot. I mean, you got to watch her do an interview. She has no expression. She has no emotion. She's she's an idiot. You listen to the way she talks. My guess is all she can do is play tennis, and she must be just an absolute idiot in every other way. You got to watch one of her interviews. Naomi Osaka. She's. I mean, th this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about with tennis. It's kind of funny that I'd be down on the Williams sisters because... I mean, that was kind of fun. And that's the kind of stuff you're looking for in a match, but they're not known as being mean. I want a villain. And these people in tennis these days, there's no Jimmy Connors. There's no John McEnroe. There's no action. You know what I'm saying? This is the best thing that ever happened in tennis was Serena Williams really letting everybody have it and breaking a racket. That's old school shit, but she's not known for doing that, which is no fun. You want the people that are known for doing it. And if this girl's going to keep on winning, I don't think I'm going to be able to stand it. She stinks even though she's a U.S. Open champion. Who talks like that? She sounds like an idiot. Walking onto the court, I was freaking out a little bit. Um, <laughs> but when I went onto the court, it didn't, it didn't feel like she was Serena. It felt like she was another player. You know what she sounds like, right? Hi. Hi. We've got a school project we're working on. Oh, hi. You know Randy and Hope. Hi. This is Linda. Hi, Mrs. Brady. Hi, Linda. She hasn't lived here too long. You just moved here? A few months ago, from Seattle. You know she sounds like that girl. Um, well, I didn't really know what was going on because I went to the back and I had my back turned. Um, and then before I knew it, um, he was saying there was a game penalty. A game penalty from Seattle? From Seattle? Ah, they're all idiots, huh? Jesus Christ, what the hell is happening? So anyway, uh, that all being said, let's get back to the uh, Rachel wedding ceremony thing. And um, so then I went to the wedding and it started to rain. So they moved it from inside, outside to inside. I think Rachel's freaking out. And she called me at nine in the morning, freaking out about the rain. And I kept sending her texts to try and make her laugh. But um, I don't know whether they're working. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it to the wedding. There's a huge line at the Meadowlands and I got a feeling today and, you know, that kind of stuff, which was nonsense. But. I was just trying to cheer her up because I can't even believe she called. Like when I got the call at nine in the morning, I was pretty tired. And I was just like, I want to sleep a little late. And then um, I'm like, well, I'm not going to pick up the bride's calls today. And then she called me yesterday, too. 
or rather Sunday, so I always pick up her calls because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of honored that she's calling, which really I should have been uh, the bridesmaid or maid of honor. I mean, I really should have. Obviously, I'm her best friend. So we go to the wedding, and I'm telling you, this was terrific. This was the best wedding. This is the best wedding ceremony I've ever seen in my life. Um, presided over by Tom Papa, my suggestion. Um, so I told her to get him. He was amazing. Then they brought on Colin Quinn to give some sage advice. It was really funny. And all they were doing was mocking each other. It was so great. Colin's like, uh, thank you, Tom, for your gravelly demeanor voice. Whatever he was saying about his voice. And then Tom Papa also said, yes. And Colin, everybody enjoys your mumbling. You know, something. So it was, I mean, you're never going to see a wedding like that ever again. It was so terrific. And even at one part where Tom was like, and of course, Rachel's parents didn't realize that her little girl was just saving up some material so she could make fun of her in a voice that she doesn't sound like at all. And then Rachel just stops. No, you know what? The thing is, my mother does sound like, I mean, this is at, at, while they're on the altar, wherever they are. I mean, Rachel says, no, 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 wait a second. Now, she does talk like that, but she doesn't. It, I mean, it was so funny. It was so awesome. Also, when everybody was coming out, um, you know, she was last, the bride. <clears throat> and Jeff Ross just yelled out, she got cold feet. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. So that was like such a good time, like such a good time. I also sat near Nikki Glazer, who I'm not really good friends with, but um, God, I was just telling her how hot she was on that roast because she really was, but she looked terrific. She's a nice girl. I just, uh, we don't really, I mean, we have so many mutual friends, but we don't really know each other and she's really nice. So um, we had a good time. And, uh, you know, and plus, you know, my friend Lee is there and his wife, Laura, who happens to be my friend from high school, Lee Maracas, and his wife, Laura, are, you know, there and they're friends with I've introduced them to Rachel. So they invited them. And then Laura turns out to be friends, uh, cousins with Jeff Ross, which is amazing. So the two worlds combined perfect. And of course, Memo and his wife were there. So it was perfect for me. Dave Jusko. Uh Let's see the comics that were there. Todd Barry. Um, Colin, obviously, Tom, uh, Sam Morell, uh, Judy Gold. I met her wife. She is sexy. Damn. Her girlfriend might not be legally married, but she's really hot. And um, I met Jessica Curson's wife. These lesbians had their significant others with them. And can't remember who else I'm, i know i'm missing a couple of people i think there were about seven or eight comics that oh sherrod of course and uh, keith robinson amy schumer obviously because uh, she was you know technically the maid of honor but just a bridesmaid really and um she got up and spoke for like a half hour it was so annoying um and just made fun of keith robinson which was kind of funny but the uh so, so I, I started drinking like, I was mad that I only had that one drink because I wanted to get going. And I just decided I'm just going to drink Jack Daniels on the rocks all night with nothing in it. And that's what I did. And I had four of them. And I was hammered. I mean, hammered. I can't even remember most of the wedding. Uh, but I, I was in, you know, just good mood. And I was walking around. Then, uh, I don't know, I was outside, like, talking, laughing. I mean, really having a terrific time. Um. And so then, okay, so then I guess Jeff and I got high, and I must have gotten so high that at one point when they had the speeches, I yelled out at Rachel's brother, 
And I said, nerd, hey, nerd. And at that exact moment, the music went off and people stopped and it just echoed throughout the place. And my whole table was laughing and I couldn't stop laughing. I was laughing for 20 minutes, for real. Like, all right, 10 minutes. Me and Laura, who was sitting next to me, were giggling because that was like the funniest thing. At least, And even if nobody else heard it, we heard it and we were just laughing really hard. And I was sitting next to Susan Huang, um, who was a friend of Rachel's growing up, who I've known for a long time. And she was getting so annoyed because I could not stop laughing that she moved to another table. I wasn't sure if I had something to do it, but then I realized, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And then she must have been annoyed still at us because then she moved to another area where they were having like the food or something just to watch the thing. And then Laura goes, hey, we should go follow her and just start laughing right next to her again and really just everywhere she goes, just annoy her. And then they're like, oh, did she get up from you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this probably has something to do with them because I dated her sister as well. So she's probably just hated me from for a very long time. (laughs) There's nothing funnier than that. Nothing. So um, so I was really having a good time. And then I guess everything ended. I think I was dancing and Jeff was so he was they had a pinata thing and Jeff was announcing. And I mean, it was really really fun everybody hung out and then you know it ended i guess oh and they had a pizza truck outside so you could have pizza when you go home but i again I, it was a beautiful like that pizza truck that's outside with the grandma's pizza you know it was delicious uh so i was able to have one slice but i was still embarrassed eating in front of people i got a problem eating in front of people so i never got I just i should have taken a whole bunch of put them on my car but i and it's funny when i got to the stupid valet I said, how long are you guys going to be here? They're like, oh, we're here until somebody leaves. I'm like, are you sure? Because what if I stay late? I was like yelling at it because I'm like, I know this is going to happen. Meanwhile, you know, after everything was over, the, the valet guys came up to me. I was the last car. And they gave him the ticket and just parked it outside. It was actually perfect. But I warned them. I warned them in advance that was going to happen. Listen, are you sure you want me to valet? Because I end up staying a long time. Listen, you punk. Why, you little... So then I went, I guess, um, to wherever Rachel was dressing or something. I just hung out until I was told to leave, like I said I would. It was only like, a, you know, six, five, six of us left. And then I drove Rachel and Pete back to their hotel. I know. Uh, you know, why me? But um, I didn't mind. You know, it was my pleasure to do. I was just a little, I was just, I was like, all right, I'm going to concentrate because I had the bride and groom in the car. And you hear about these stories all the time. But that's not going to happen today. Um. So I drove him back to the hotel, and then we stayed at the bar and had a couple more drinks. I switched over to beer, thank God. And then uh, this kid was annoying me, so I made a harsh bail, and I left. Oh, and of course, classically, Rachel came up. This is at 3 in the morning. Rachel came up and said, I left my purse in your car. Can you go get it? I went to the car. Of course, there's no purse. Of course, there's no purse. What did I say for the past month and a half? Rachel, I could never marry Rachel because she will always leave so the end of the night will always end with everybody looking for her purse, her phone, her scarf, her jacket every single time. It's amazing. And this time was no different. This time, of course, you can forgive a little bit because she's got a lot of stuff, but it's just funny every single time. And of course, she called up. It's at the hotel. She got to go back there or, pick, or wherever it was. We're going to go back and pick it up tomorrow. So classic. I knew it wasn't in my car. I knew it. 
and uh, oh, she's just so obvious. It's so funny. So I harsh bail on there because this kid was annoying me. I didn't want to drive him back to Brooklyn. And uh, I decide I need to stay up all night long because I'm going to the tailgate, you know, Sunday morning at 8 a.m. So now it's three o'clock. So I go to the bar I hang out in, and they'll they'll keep me in a little bit. Uh, I drive back to Manhattan. I go back in the bar, and they are nice enough to keep me there till about six thirty in the morning. And then I go back home, and I get I, I had bought lamb chops, which were very expensive. God damn it! And uh, beer. I had to go back and get that, and I parked my car so it would be ready to take home for Rosh Hashanah. And then. Went to Lee's house, got Dunkin' Donuts, a box of Joe. These were my jobs. Went to his house. He wasn't even ready. So I'm just waiting for him. And then around 8.30, we left for the tailgate. I stayed up all night. We got to the tailgate. I wasn't tired. I was still drunk. And then I just started drinking again. You know, very little. And I couldn't overdo it. I I pretty much had it. So I had a Bloody Mary. And I had a beer. And then I just ate. And, uh, you know, they made my lamp chops. And this kid was like, oh, Joe's guy was taking two lamp chops. I'm like, because nobody's eating them. And then I saw them at the end. They threw out two of the lamp chops. I'm like, fuck you. This guy's such a fan. I'll tell you, Lee and I weren't happy with the tailgate because the people we have at the tailgate now are not fun. They're like guys Lee works with. They're not. We're done with them. We, we just It's just not fun. Lee's cooking the whole time. We're not having the time we used to have. But that might be because it was raining. I still I couldn't care less that it was raining this time. I swear to God, I was just like so like happy to be outdoors, and the rain was actually kind of nice because of the drizzle. I didn't even care if it was big. I didn't bring a jacket. I didn't bring a hat. I didn't. I didn't care at all. I was in a really good mood, and even though those guys suck, it's still a good time, and it's a fun time, and it's a fun place to be. But this time, Lee didn't even want to go in either, so he just drove me back at twelve thirty, and I'll tell you by one. 150. Then I walked home from 10th Avenue, which I was like, I can't believe I'm still up. Uh, and then I, I came home. I took a bath, as gay as that is, but it was awesome. It was like really awesome because it was cold and rainy, you know. Uh, I took a bath and then I watched the Red Zone channel. Fell asleep for about 15 minutes or two, a very relaxing sleep. Watched the football games. Then at 4.20 when they were all over, I said, uh, now I'm going to try and go to bed. But, uh, you know, people kept calling. Rachel called that time. Somebody else. People kept calling. I'm like, Adam, I'm not really sleepy. So I just uh, stayed up. And then I decided I needed to have that grandma pie pizza. But I wasn't sure if that's exactly what that pizza was. Like, I didn't have enough of it that day. Can I order one to my house? Now, I know pretty much Steve Cunningham, who owns... Fiori's downtown on Bleecker, which I say is the best pizza. I think that's grandma pie that he makes. So what is grandma, a grandma pie or a grandma slice? I guess it's more of a sheet pizza. It's not your regular pizza with this, you know, sauce and glops of mozzarella. It's not like the regular way a pizza is made, but it's delicious and it should be tangy and delicious. So I was looking at my phone the whole time. What are the best grandma pizza? I was hoping that was it. I was looking at pictures. I'm like, yeah, that looks like it's it. And where's the best near me? And I found this place. The pizza was like 30 goddamn dollars. $30. But it was worth every penny, right? At least, you know, that's what I thought. I mean, it was. And so then it came. 
and I ate it, and it was pretty good. It certainly wasn't as good as Steve's, and it wasn't as good as the pizza I had the night before, but that is what I needed to have. So I really didn't eat anything. I think I had one hors d'oeuvre at the party. So I, I guess I ate at the tailgate, but really not that much. You know, you just, at the tailgates, so you don't have a full meal. You just pick at stuff. So if Lee's making the lamb chops, all right, so I had two of the lamb chops, but they're small, you know, like lollipop things, right? But that's, I guess that's a lot of meat. I had a couple of pieces of chicken and some meatballs. I guess that is when you think, when you put it all together, it's just not on one plate. So you're not thinking of it as a full meal. Or it's like George Costanza, but that's not real food. They come back from the ball game. That's not real food. You want to get Chinese? And I love eating when I come back from the tailgate, which is so weird. Should probably get out of the habit, but I can't. I just love being relaxed and being at home and, um, you know, not doing anything. It was great, really great. And I love that I turned off the TV at 420 and I just watched something else. Man, if I could do that all season, that would be really terrific. If I could just watch the first bunch of games and then turn off the TV and then have a regular day. But this gambling thing, it gets in the way sometimes. Maybe if I just don't bet on the late night games, maybe that the, the late afternoon games, maybe I can survive this uh, fall in a good, pleasant way and have my Sundays back, you know? But it's awesome watching the games for one to, for that Red Zone channel. I mean, it's just it's just so terrific. I mean, it really, really is great. So that's pretty much the thing. And uh, I don't think I've ever, like, really slept. Maybe last night. I don't know. Maybe the night before. I don't, I don't know. If, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I don't think I've ever made it up, but I'm not sleepy. Still had a great time just staying up, and it was awesome. I don't know pretty happy about it i was thinking i guess that's my last weekend even though i'm not getting the hair stuff this weekend no i am getting it this weekend so i know i gotta stay in i don't know what it's gonna look like i gotta go back to work um this again coming out tuesday i gotta go back to work on thursday i i'm assuming i'm gonna look like a monster i i don't know i don't think i can wear a hat i really don't know how to handle this i don't want to look like an idiot but i'm not gonna go out there in the weekend and i'll go out the weekend after that and party like it's 1899. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, do it to me buggy style. <laughs> it's a tells joke from the past. Uh, the football ratings were completely up today. They Everybody's like, it's going to go down. It's going to go down because the kneeling and all that stuff. And you know the thing they had that ad with Colin Kaepernick? You know, I like that Colin Kaepernick. I don't care that he took a knee. I know on Fox News, everybody was angry at me because I said, I don't like to stand for the national anthem sometimes. I have totally different reasons. You know, the way Colin Kaepernick did it, I thought that was pretty cool. He was just silently making a statement. Not like he didn't say he was going to do it every time. This is what he chose to do. I think that's a pretty good, peaceful statement that he's trying to make. As long as you don't do it every time. But then it turned into this whole thing. And this guy was, I mean, maybe he's gone crazy because I told you his wife is making him do all that stuff. So maybe it's coming from a weird place. But I don't think that's such a bad protest. If they, you know, if black people are so angry at the cops and I, of course, that makes me angry because. Now, there's a story in Dallas about this woman who just came into a the wrong apartment and shot some guy. I mean, this girl should be trying to murder charges. It's completely wrong. Uh, we don't know the whole story. Maybe it's racially motivated. I don't know. That's a good protest. But when a cop shoots somebody, I mean, I know, you know, I, 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 I don't know. If you're running away, what are you supposed to do? They tell you to stop. 
it's very difficult being a cop. I'm not going to kneel because I'm disrespecting the police officer. I'll tell you that. I love cops, you know, except when I'm drinking and they pull me over. But, um, and, uh, you know, I, I have great respect. And it does make me angry when they're protesting about police. But I don't know. That national anthem thing, it doesn't bother me that much. It's not like I don't want to watch football because they're protesting. I don't really care. Um, but I'm what I'm taking a knee for is that I'm taking a knee because they won't show the national anthem on TV of them taking a knee. So that's how I'm going to take a knee. But that's the thing I said on Fox News. I'm like, if they were really serious about the national anthem, they'd show it on television. Now, I don't want to see the national anthem on television. I'm just saying it's very interesting. They don't feel you'll get ratings from the national anthem, so they don't bother showing it. So they could show more advertisements. So everybody can go fuck themselves is pretty much the story. Thank you. Also, you know, this new Bob Woodward uh, book came out. I was just thinking about that, that new Bob Woodward book about Trump. It's so, I mean, that guy's the most fascinating guy. This is this exact same thing happened to Bob Woodward when he did the John Belushi Wired story. Nobody knew where he got his information from. Uh, now, I believe Bob Woodward completely, but um, there's nothing. You know what the, I mean, this Donald Trump, as as crazy as he may be and all the kind of stuff, there is nothing more brilliant than just, I, I, I can't believe you're not understanding this, than calling everything fake news. I mean, it's just so brilliant. You never have to say, I can't believe no one ever thought of this before. It may annoy the shit out of you, but you have to look at the sheer brilliance of it. How are you not seeing that? This man might be a complete fool and a true idiot, just like they're talking about him in the White House. But whatever, whoever came up with the fake news and that everything he says is true and everybody else is a lie and the fact that he fires all the people that might get him fired, I mean, that is just absolutely brilliant. I mean, it is absolutely brilliant. I think I, I don't know whether I ever told you guys, this is just like the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine buys all this stuff with, peterman's money because she's in charge and she buys that big hat that george leaves at that girl's house remember they exchange it for the clock and everything and he gets that big hat and then she's got to return it because it's eight thousand dollars and she goes what um well can i fire you to the accountant and he goes no it's just funny because that's i can't believe trump actually does i mean he's just like can i fire you well i guess you okay then you're fired it is very brilliant it's insane but if you look at it from the other way, it's quite remarkable. Anyway, that's not what I want to say. What I'm saying was the ratings are up for football, but they're down for Sunday night football, which makes me so happy because I wish they would just stop doing Sunday night football, Sunday night baseball. No one wants to see your shit on Sunday nights. I just want to be done with football. Monday nights are the one. That's the greatest thing ever. Sunday Night Football sucks and everyone knows it. It stinks. It stinks on ice. This business stinks, you know that? Well, it stinks. It used to be the most exciting business in the world. Now it stinks on ice. It's been a rough year. It stinks. I guess it does stink. It stinks on ice. Yeah, you tell him, Ed. It stinks on ice.
That's absolutely right. Speaking of Ed McMahon, um, I found a Carson clip that I just couldn't stop. I was looking for some Burt Reynolds stuff, but this is Don Rickles with Burt Reynolds and Buddy Hackett on The Tonight Show in 1973, just probably before Burt Reynolds was the absolute shit, because he technically wasn't the shit shit until around, well, probably Smoking the Bandit did for him, but uh, uh, Rickles is just such a genius. Have you, you know, which we all do, you know. But I, uh, observing in the back, say from the bottom of my heart, Johnny, you're a very wealthy man. <laughs> Remember what happened last time you said I that? I know that, but yes. uh, I don't mean it in that sense. Uh, the good Lord has blessed you and your family and your lovely wife. And you're... Thank you so much, Bert. <laughs> Bert is lonely. <laughs> but, uh... You know, it's a very difficult thing when uh, a Burt Reynolds, who's a very glib guy, a Buddy Hackett, one of our great comedy minds, and Ed McMahon, who's at the end of the couch, annoying, <laughs> annoying Buddy now saying, can't you use me in Vegas? Uh, I mean, Ed knows and I know, Johnny. You don't have a friend. <laughs> you have me, John, because I still feel you're hot in the business. My career has come a long way. I am... Uh, 47 years of age, you're 48, I believe. No, no, I'm 47. You're 47. We're the same well, age. We're the same age, wonderful. So when the good Lord, when we were both born and we came from our mother's God, looked down and said, make him rich and make him struggle. <laughs> and uh, it turned out that way. I'll be off in a minute, Bert, and then you can show this outfit. But uh, I like Bert. You know, the, the first one, when you were away. Don't you like me? Huh? Honestly? Yes. No. I see. <laughs> No, I adore you. I know that. You gave me an opportunity. You even had me. He had a little party the other night, I must say. In fairness to Buddy and Ed and Bert, he had a party uh, for your anniversary. Well, it wasn't really. It was just happened to fall on the same day. No, you were married a year to Joanna. That's right. Correct. Your lovely wife was not here tonight, unfortunately. She's in New York with her organ and monkey. (laughs) Oh, don't go. Oh, oh, oh. He's the first one that laughs. You should see his wife. She said to me tonight on the phone, when when is Johnny coming home? (laughs) No, that's a joke. Of course it is. His mother's in Nebraska going... (laughs) (laughs) Again, we struck out, Pop. But uh, she's a a lovely lady. Yes, she uh, is. uh, Johnny had a little party, Bert, and uh, Buddy at at Chasen's. Uh, I can't say that. Buddy was was invited and couldn't be there, and Bert wasn't in town. I couldn't make it. You You, you weren't invited? No, you were at the Dinah Shore cooking show. (laughs) Uh, We... uh, Now, he, he goes out with Dinah Shaw, who's oh, a lovely that. lady. I know you know that. This is a test. I know you know that. Well, I read. Why are you talking to me like I don't know? Because you annoy me. That's it. Oh, <laughs> but, Bert, you, were you invited truthfully, Bert? Were no, you? he wasn't uh, in town. He was not invited. Now, don't make a big thing. You said to me, why invite a cowboy dumbbell to one of my parties? <laughs> said this guy with a two-fisted karate baloney at the party. Ha, ha, ha. We don't need that. We're all lovers. And you danced. And, Johnny, this is inside. For God's sakes, as Jack Benny would say. And Jack was at the party. Yes, he was. All the biggies. Freddie DeCorvita. How do you say Cordova. Huh? You kept mispronouncing it all night at the party. DeCordova. Wonderful. Look at how the crowd got excited. God, he's so fucking funny. Don Rickles, he's sorely missed. But it's so great. Burt Reynolds, you know, what a great sense of humor. And it's just, he had some, you know, back, back when, you know, you couldn't, there was no Twitter and there there just wasn't access Hollywood. 
All you had was the Tonight Show to see your huge movie star celebrities and comedians interact with each other and talk about and see what they were like. I'll never forget the first time Travolta was on uh, the Carson show and he was so shy. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? He was like, he was like so shy. You should probably get a clip of that. It was really interesting because, you know, he was so damn cool and everything, let alone welcome by Connor, but Saturday Night Fever and all that kind of stuff. And I remember he came out and he was just so different. And that was the only time you got to see them. And Burt Reynolds, when he was on The Tonight Show, I mean, I believe him and Johnny were pretty close. He would just do great things. There's one, you could look it up, where he just takes this, uh, whether it's shaving cream or whipped cream, and he just comes out and squirts Johnny, and then Johnny and him go back and forth. It's not it's not worth playing on a podcast because you got to see it. And then the next week, I believe, this is when him and Sally Field were dating. Sally Field comes on, does the same thing. Certainly not as funny, but the fact that it was all inside if you were a kid growing up, it was so exciting that all these celebrities interacted with everybody, you know? It, it was uh, what you were, like, hoping in your life that would happen to you. Um, but it's funny because Burt Reynolds was just so cool. He was so cool. And um, I was watching College Game Day on Saturday, and Lee Corso, you know, I love that show because when he puts on the uh, masculine, it's a college football, you know, show for three hours every Saturday from a different college town. You know, this time it was from College Station, Texas, and uh, Texas A&M. And uh, Lee Corso did a little tribute to Burt Reynolds because Lee Corso and Burt Reynolds used to play football at Florida State. And apparently they were friends till the end. And Lee Corso's maybe, he might be the same age as Burt. Uh, and he said, Bert remained friends with that entire team that he was on, even though he got hurt. And then he just said, yeah, I think I'm going to try acting. I mean, it's really, it's kind of like The Rock in many ways. But The Rock, it's kind of the exact same story, except, of course, it comes from wrestling. I mean, this was a real college football player who made it. But he just, it wasn't, The Rock is okay, but he's not. I, I guess in a way he's like Burt Reynolds, but just Burt Reynolds was this thing. He was just, uh, on his own, he was a personality, which I think also ultimately destroyed him in his acting career if he wanted to be taken seriously, which I assume he did at some point. I mean, nobody doesn't want to be taken seriously, but like that clip we played up front of shark of a, a stick, that was 1985, this is Sharky's machine of 1981, but they all all the trailers sound completely similar. Orion Pictures presents Burt Reynolds in Sharky's machine. If you don't get out now, we're gonna have to call the police. I am the police, Sharky Vice. They were just street cops until they teamed up with Sharky and became Sharky's machine. Seven ladies. One's got her hooks into Hodgkins, and that's the one the department won't let us touch on. Doesn't that tell you anything? Thousand bucks a night. Is that right? Is that what they get? I want to watch it. Found the clock. Who? Domino with an E. Domino. So waste. You, busting hookers. The last casualty they had in Vice was a suicide. <laughs> what the hell are we doing? Well, we're here to arrest certain might be offering to perform sexual acts for money. The man with the smiling eyes. Sharky, 
Vice. Low-life creep. Even if there is one guy squeezing his house, he's too high to reach. Great reputation here. Slave trade. They buy him, kidnap him, then they break him down, drugs, rape, whatever the hell it takes, and then they sell him. Who is there? Tim and his brother, Albert Spirelli. You're an outcast about to lose that badge of yours. You're a strange guy, Stucky. Yeah, that's what everybody says. You know you got a big communication problem here, Sharky. He wants you dead. Then I am dead. Where is Domino? You should have just brought the girl in. Nobody leans on Sharky's machine. Yeah. Sharky's machine, ready to Hello. They're all the same. All the other times. Sharky's machine. Stick. And of course, uh, <clears throat> well, let's take a look. Because it's the thing about Burt Reynolds is, is that his career was quite short in a way. If he had, um, in 1972, he had Deliverance, right? So that's his breakout role which was badass cool. In 1972, but he also did the Woody Allen movie, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex, had a small part as the sperm switchboard chief. I mean, I remember that as a kid. And we were looking back because Burt Reynolds was already a thing. So he's doing these two, one comedy, one, you know how I love that, one comedy, one heavy drama. And then, uh, so he does uh, Seamus, The Man Who Loved Cat, The White Light, and the Longest, the Longest Yard. That was pretty good, right? 74. And then WW, the Dixie Dance Cake. He's like, Lucky Lady in 75. Hustle, silent movie with Mel Brooks doing uh, comedy again. And Gator, Nickelodeon. All these movies are okay. And the Longest Yard is probably a pretty good one, pretty fun one. But until Smokey and the Bandit, he was just this thing. But Smokey and the Bandit really did make him. I know they always say that, but it's you always think there was a whole bunch of stuff before Smokey and the Bandit. But Smokey and the Bandit seemed to be the action comedy, kind of like a Beverly Hills cop that I guess he was looking for. And that in 1977, he made that and semi-tough. In 1978, I think he directed a movie called The End with Christy McNichol. And then Hooper in 78, which I believe he played a stuntman. And starting over in Rough Cut. I mean, these are all movies you've never heard of. Because they're just okay. But they made money because Smokey and the Bandit was so huge. But already he's making poor choices. We've talked about that before, especially with Travolta. In 1980, he does Smokey and the Bandit 2 again, so he's back. Unfortunately, right after that, when he made the comeback, he makes another driving movie, Cannonball Run, which, of course, we love. But a back-to-back driving comedy that's going to ruin your career. And at that point, he's technically done. Now, in 1981, he made a movie called Paternity. I mean, I have, I, I had friends that had that poster in their room. It was terrific. It was, he wants you to have his baby. It's a big picture of Burt with the finger, you know, from like the army. Uncle Sam wants you. And he's pointing the thing and it's Burt Reynolds in Paternity. He wants you to have his baby. So he was still... You know, huge, obviously, coming off Smokey and the Bandit 2 and Cannonball Run, which made a lot of money. And then Paternity. And then 
so he has the Sharky's machine, and maybe that made a little bit of money, but it wasn't very good. And then he does the best little whorehouse in Texas in 82 with Dolly Parton. But that does well, very well. But after that, in 1982, so from 1977 to 82, he was kind of the king of the world. So what is that? 8, 78, 79, 80, 81, 80, five years. He had a good five-year run and could have, I mean, we all knew who he was for a long time, but if he had made better choices in movies, he, I mean, he is a living legend, so it's hard to say, but he made so many bad choices because then, you know, then he does stroke a race. Oh, you get more car movies. Then it says, oh, Smoking the Bandit Part 3, he just did a cameo because I remember that was, a disaster. The Man Who Loved Woman. I've forgotten about that. Cannonball Run 2. But what are you going to do, right? He's trying to make a comeback. Then I remember he did City Heat with Clint Eastwood. I'll never forget it. It was one of those movies where the ad was better than the whole movie. You didn't need to see the movie. The ad was him getting beaten up in a bar. I don't know if you remember. Maybe the trailer's online. I didn't even bother looking at it because it wouldn't be. I knew it wasn't a vocal thing. You couldn't play it on a podcast. But you look it up. City Heat. Him and Clint Eastwood. How can you go wrong? But it was a comedy. And he's... I, I remember seeing it in the theater. Let's see. If that was 84, I don't remember what I was watching. Maybe it was Ghostbusters. And maybe before Ghostbusters, they have an advertisement for City Heat. And Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood are in this diner. And Burt Reynolds is getting the shit kicked out of him by a bunch of bullies or whatever it is because they think they're cops, whatever. And, and Clint Eastwood isn't budging. And all of a sudden, as he's fighting these guys and Clint Eastwood's not helping him and he's just minding his own business, one of the thugs accidentally spills a little bit of Clint Eastwood's coffee. And then everything pauses and he just looks up. And it was so funny. You're in the audience. You're in the movie theater. I mean, it worked. And then you're, I mean, it was... Where you knew Clint Eastwood, I mean, it's Clint Eastwood, and he's already 20, a 20-year 20 veteran of movies, and it was it was brilliant, and you're like, if this movie is this good, but it can't be, you even knew it, that had to be the best scene, because where can it go from there, but then you knew it was a comedy and everything, but then it just got such horrible reviews, I, I'm guessing it was unwatchable, but every once in a while, you know, these actors like a Clint Eastwood or Clint Eastwood is a great example because he's so serious, serious, but then he would make, what's his highest grossing movie? We talk about it all the time. Uh, every Which Way But Loose. And then the sequel, Any Which Way You Can. These guys have to do comedy sometimes because uh, it's important. And every actor does it. Like we were talking about last week, you know, with uh, learning to sing and dance or whatever. But it, it, it's true. But you got to go from comedies to dramas, show what kind of range you have, even though Clint Eastwood, I don't even think he gives a shit about being an actor. But that's what you're expected to do when you're a movie star. So then after, but I'm telling you, after, so we just said, yeah, 1982, then it's just, you know, stick, uphill all the way. Who knows what that is? A heat, but not the heat that we like with uh, the Michael Mann one with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, a worse version. Malone, Rent-A-Cop, which I'll play in a second, switching channels, physical evidence, breaking in, modern, I've never even heard of these movies. The Player, which he just had a cameo. I love that movie, but he's just a cameo. It has nothing to do. Cop and a Half with him and a kid. The Maddening, Citizen Ruth, Strip Tease. He was trying to make a comeback, but that movie sucked. 
Mad Dog Time, Meet Wally Sparks, which was a Rodney Dangerfield movie, which was Rodney Dangerfield's worst movie, although some people like it if you're younger. Bean, and then, of course, making his full comeback in Boogie Nights, which he was okay, but it was over for Burt Reynolds by 1982, and that's 1997 already. The guy could not... He had done too many bad movies. I mean, you could just watch... All you have to do is watch Siskel and Ebert and hear them talking about, I, I believe... In fact, wait. Hold on a second. I got the review. I got I got Gene... Uh, Roger Ebert's review for Stroker Ace in 1983. And remember, I had just... I'm saying that Burt Reynolds' career was over in 82. This is Roger Ebert's review for Stroker Ace... Which, uh, I'm looking, they have the uh, poster here. It just looks like so fun. Yeah, it's just, but the poster is Lonnie Anderson. Wait, he's hot on the track and off. Oh, I guess he was a, a race car driver. But I remember Siskel and Ebert and Roger Ebert. Burt Reynolds should never get into another car again. It's this Hal Needham that ruined his career. Smoking the Bandit made his career. But then you do... Cannonball Run, Stroke a Race, and all and Smoking the Bandit 2. Already got four movies where you're just driving in a car. Burt Reynolds used to make movies about people's lifestyles. Now he seems more interested in making movies that fit in with his own lifestyle. Stroke a Race is another in a series of essentially identical movies he has made with director Hal Needham. And although it's allegedly based on a novel, it's really based on their previous box office hits like Smokey and the Bandit and the Cannonball Run. This is just like I said. To call the movie a light... I just love this kind of stuff. And Roger Ebert loves him. You should see him stick up for him in some of those uh, videos. So this is how bad this movie is. To call the movie a lightweight, bubble-headed summer entertainment is not criticism, but simply description. This movie is so determined to be inconsequential that it's actually capable of showing horrible, fiery racing crashes and then implying that nobody got hurt. The plot involves a feud between two NASCAR drivers, played by Reynolds and Parker Stevenson, one of the Hardy Boys, who specialize in you should right there, there's a problem. Who specialize in sideswiping each other at 140 miles per hour in the middle of a race. I don't think that's a very slick idea. Actually, to me, that actually sounds pretty cool. I've never seen this movie. Reynolds plays the same basic good old boy he's been refining for years, the sly woman chasing character with a couple of good buddies and an eye on the big time. That, that's a very interesting statement. That that kind of sums up Burt Reynolds' entire career. He needs somebody to sponsor his car, and he ends up with Clyde Torkel, a fried chicken king who's played by Ned Beatty. That's the thing about Burt Reynolds. He sure did love using his friends. He's like Christopher Guest, Dom DeLuise, Ned Beatty, uh, 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 Gomer Pyle, uh, with the kid from Tattletales, uh, the, the host of that show, Burt Convy. Uh, Jim Neighbors, I said right. I mean, he definitely liked using his friends, which makes sense. You're gonna make a movie, use your friend. You're making a comedy, you use your friends. I mean, I would do the same thing, but it's his choice of friends is very odd. Not Ned Beatty so much, but the other guys. Like, you know, why? Why am I using Jim Neighbors all the time? I suppose that's like me using Mike Pachetti. Um the low-bound director of Jackie and Jackie Gleason. Uh, Torkel makes Reynolds paint the slogan. Blah blah blah. Um, okay. This provides the most... Reynolds' sidekick is an auto mechanic named Lugs, Jim Neighbors, and the romantic interest... This is the best part. And the romantic interest is Lonnie Anderson, 
Remember, they were dating at this time. Bert and Lonnie together again. He was finished with Sally Field. Now, Bert and Lonnie. Remember, we were listening to the clip. He was Bert, uh, dating Dinah Shore, then Sally Field, then Lonnie Anderson. That's a strange list of people. She plays a Sunday school teacher who doesn't drink and is a virgin. That's ridiculous. Who uses Lonnie Anderson as a virgin? So Reynolds slips her some champagne and gets her drunk. And in an unpleasant, unfunny, and creepy scene, Semi undresses her while making small talk to her unconscious body. Roger Ebert's pointing that out in 1983, not 2018, when we apparently frown upon that kind of stuff. Lonnie Anderson is so innocuous in this movie, they must have given her the wrong script. The movie is the movie is stolen in the sex symbol department by a creature named Cassandra Peterson, aka Elvira, who has a dynamite scene with Jim Neighbors. Well, that's like the nicest thing he said. She has long black hair. You know Elvira. This must have been her first appearance. She has long black hair and a ton of eye makeup. And it looks like a cross between Gina Lola Brigida, that's my favorite uh, name to say, and Vampirella. She's the best thing in the movie. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? And we all know El- who Elvira is now, and this must have been her appearance. This must have been like, like when Andrew Dice Clay was in Pretty in Pink, who was the best part of the movie. Hey, why don't you let the duck man in if you know it's whatever. Which brings us to the director, Hal Needham. He's a one-time stunt coordinator who, has a legend in his field, who was a legend in his field. He moved up to directing with encouragement from his old buddy Reynolds, and together they've made five smoky-type movies. There is hardly a spark of inspiration in any of these films, but Reynolds is a box office champion who can sell anything, even Needham's lead-footed direction. If Reynolds were prepared to work with a good director, he might today... 1983, be hailed as the superb romantic comedian he is rather than as the assembly line box office product he seems determined to become. Fascinating insight by Roger Ebert, one of my favorite people. Looking at Burt Reynolds, I'm not trying to uh, talk ill about Burt Reynolds, I just am fascinated by uh, an imploding career when you're the shit, you know. It's not like I, I'm, you know, just because he's dead, I'm not saying he was an asshole or anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. And hopefully you are too. Uh, looking at his, uh, the box office, the things that, you know, kind of made him. Here's the top 10. And it's through that, those years, uh, 77 to 82, when he was the champion. The, the highest box office one is in night. Well, let's let's do it by year. So in 1972, he has Deliverance. Now that's the second highest grossing movie for Burt Reynolds. 72. Um, and in 72, let's see. Okay, so in 70, 1972, he's very young Burt Reynolds. Uh, the Godfather is number one, hands down, 133 million dollars. The Poseidon Adventure, remember they were making those kind of movies back then that were really popular, $93 million. And those are the top two grossing movies of 1972. Um, It's not even a contest. The next one, $66 million, and it's Barbara Streisand, What's Up, Doc? Which is a terrific movie, which I think actually still holds up, and which Artie Lang, as I think I've told you, still does the dialogue to make his mother laugh. 
to this day. Behind the green door. I don't even know what that is. I know some of you, I guess, will be mad at me. I really have no idea what it is. And then number five in 1972, Deliverance, $46 million. The next, in so in that's 72, and then 74, he has the y- longest yard, which is... Uh, The longest yard, right. So that's what, right. So that's two years later. And that's not, you know, his biggest box office, but it's up there with his uh, thing. Now, that year, the longest yard is 10th. So he's moving down, even though it's two years removed, but the longest yard's not that great a picture. Uh, in 1974, it's a very interesting year, and I've, I've been talking about it for a while. The number one box office movie, the one and two, I'll tell you about the times, the number one box office movie, and you may never see this again, is Blazing Saddles at $119 million. Now, even Annie Hall, one best picture of the year, didn't make it. It made it maybe to number 10 in 1977, but it was not number one. Mel Brooks had the highest grossing movie in 1974, Blazing Fucking Saddles. Can you believe that? Because nobody had seen the likes of a comedy like that ever. Very much like Annie Hall, but Annie Hall is more intellectual. This is slapstick made for the lowest common denominator. And yet, if you're intellectual, you still get the brilliance out of Blazing Saddles because of the the hot topic of what is racism put in this kind of format. Blazing Saddles is a mastery of motion picture making in the sense of its cutting edge format for its time. 1974, I tell you before, People were not just throwing around curse words like that uh, for one thing, for one thing in that movie. Uh, but again, the the undertone, the thing, I mean, it's just, and it made the most money. A comedy. I got to look up if there was ever a comedy that was number one at the box office of all time. That'll never happen again because you have all those Marvel movies. However, if you look at Thor Rangarok, or if that's how it's pronounced, that they put that as a comedy and it is hilarious it's such a good movie but it wasn't number one then the number two is towering inferno because i told you those disaster movies used to kick ass back then you had the poseidon adventure in 72 towering inferno in uh 74 where uh where fred astaire was nominated for uh, best supporting actor 74 that so that made blazing saddles it uh beat the towering inferno out by three million bucks uh and then, you know, everything is substitute of the trial of Billy Jack, Young Frankenstein, can you, Young fucking Frank, Mel Brooks, the number one and the number four movie, and there it is. Why is Mel Brooks so famous? Why is Mel Brooks the shit if you have two movies, number one and four in one year, two comedies, two comedies that you wrote and directed in one year, you are the man. I mean, that is it. And if you think about it, I mean, besides I love High Anxiety, but he never even made a better movie than that. I mean, that's it. Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, and that's it. I mean, for me, I mean, I like silent movie. I like High Anxiety, and that's that's where it ends. I mean, I still like History of the World Part 1, right? But it's all down, all progressively downhill from Young Frankenstein. But that's what, what else do you need in life? You'll... You are allowed to make movies for the rest of your life, which he did, because you had two 
of the top box office in That's unbelievable. Then Earthquake, the disaster movies, and Godfather Part Two, number seven. It only made $47 million. How the hell is that possible? Airport 75, another disaster movie. I guess there goes your thing. Life of Times of Grizzly Adams and The Longest Yard. Uh, so right, that wasn't one of his best, but that's 74. So then we hit the 77 year where he just went crazy and he made Smoking the Bandit, his highest grossing movie of all time for him, and Semi-Tough in the same year. Now in 77, you can't be the number one box office champ. You can't. You don't have a chance. It's like what we were just saying. You can't be the number one box office champ in 77 because you are not going to beat out Star Wars. You don't have an, you, you, four, I mean, this was back then, $460 million. The next is Close Encounters, 169, man. Look at the difference there. How are you going to beat Star Wars and Close Encounters in the same year? You know what the number three one is? Saturday Night Fever. I mean, these are legendary classic movies that are talked about to this day, let alone Star Wars. Forget about it. And then number four is Smokey and the Bandit. $126 million back in that day. Forget about it. Number five, Neil Simon, The Goodbye Girl. Fascinating. Oh, God, that year. But uh, so he's the number four box office star in 79. Semi-Tough is number 13. So he's got two. But Semi-Tough only made 37 million. It wasn't a very good movie. But he's got two good money-making. So all of a sudden, he's the shit in 1977. So what does he do in 78? He does Hooper. It makes a lot of money. It's got Sally Field again. I remember it. it I remember not enjoying it as much as it should be because it was about a stuntman. So it should have been better. Uh, and it seemed like a good movie to do, I guess. But he's a stuntman, so he's probably in a car again. But it makes a shitload of money because all of a sudden he's Burt Reynolds and he's in Smoking the Bandit. So it's the Bandit making a movie. But it's it's a disappointment if you're thinking about what you're going to do next. So in 1978, he, he, this, he, he, okay, well, look at this. In 1978, the top grossing movie is Grease. 181 million. But the number two, interestingly, what we were just talking about is Animal House at 141 million. The question is whether this thing is like because it's now or whether these are statistics from back then. But Animal House number two. And of course, Superman is number three. And then what I say, every which way but loose. Number four. So Clint Eastwood making a comedy, probably his best, best box office thing. Of all time at that point. Then there's Jaws 2. Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty. So you got John Travolta. John Belushi. Superman. Clint Eastwood. And Warren Beatty. All ahead of the now box office star Burt Reynolds. And a very. Like like Heaven Can Wait made 98 million. Hooper only made 51. A big drop off. A big drop off. Uh, almost just barely beat out Halloween. And that was his next thing. So so the, everything kind of relies on 1979 or what he chooses to do. He doesn't make a movie in 79. 
his next movie in 1980. Oh, I'm sorry. He makes the end in 1970. Okay, so he made two movies that year. All right, when I had that. The end was a personal movie that he directed, and uh, it didn't do well, but it was 16th in the box. It didn't make a lot of money. People didn't like it. He was like, um, I think he was trying to commit suicide. Oh, right, a terminal disease is trying to commit suicide. So two bad choices. But in 1980, he recovers because he does Smokey and the Bandit 2. 1980. And 1980, he's back because Smokey and the Bandit 2 was great, but it still is lackluster. Now, of course, again, this this guy's an idiot. He should never put out movies when there's a Star Wars movie. He should have waited one more year, but unfortunately, he made the movie when The Empire Strikes Back was there, so he wasn't going to beat it. And as we've talked about before, which I still can't even believe with my own eyes, 9 to 5 is number 2. And then, so 2 Comedy Stir Crazy is number 3. Airplane is number four. I think we can all agree that is the most awesome of, of all movies. Then Clint Eastwood again in the sequel for Every Which Way But Loose, Any Which Way You Can, which was absolutely horrible. Private Benjamin, Coal Miner's Daughter, and then Smokey and the Bandit 2. And remember, that's already like a sequel. And some say it's better than the first one. So you have Star Wars. And you have Jane Fonda, Richard Pryor. Clint Eastwood, Goldie Hawn, Sissy Spacek, and Burt Reynolds. And then, in 1981, he makes Cannonball Run. Now, see, this is where he should have done something else. If he wanted to... If he wanted to go another direction in his career, that was the chance. You're high again, kind of, even though it didn't make that much money. Cannibal Run makes more than Smokey and the Bandit 2. And in 1981, you're screwed again because Raiders of the Lost Ark comes out. Nobody had ever seen the likes of that before. And that blows everything away at $212 million on Golden Pond was second. Superman 2 was three. And Arthur was four. And Stripes was five. Look at all these classics in 81. Cannibal Run being six, which is a subpar movie to any of the ones we mentioned. Yeah, it all goes that. So Raiders of the Lost Ark is amazing. On Golden Pond, it's pretty good, but who cares? But Superman 2, Arthur and Stripes, are you kidding? These are classics. And then there's Cannonball Run. And we all love Cannonball Run. But let's face it, Cannonball Run is, uh, you know, it's not a good movie. We like it because it's bad. And uh, I don't know whether him and Sally Field were dating at that time, but I guess she was smart enough to stay out of that mess because she really... You know, worked out her career in 1978 or 77 with Norma Ray. I think the Smoking the Bandit helped her career, and then she just, well, it was a good thing I dated Burt Reynolds, and now I'm off to do my own thing so I can actually be a serious actor. Kind of funny that she never said, hey, Burt, maybe you should really think about taking a different project because then you will be really, truly the king. What do you say when there are no words? Cannibal. Cannibal. Yeah. Cannibal. Cannibal. What do you do when you've done it all? Cannonball. 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 
Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, the 80s are back. Where it starts where it's going to be like it could be from any decade, but then we realize, even though it's country, it's 1980. Oh yeah. The Cattleball Runners are raised between... Let it roll. You know what's funny about uh, this movie is that uh, that was a big box office movie in 1981. But you know who else had two movies, big ones in 1981? Roger Moore. He's in the number six movie and he's in the number eight movie for your eyes only. How about that Roger Moore? It's kind of odd that he couldn't branch out from James Bond if uh, he had two movies at the same time. But he's James Bond. That's different. So the last movie that he makes that's successful is The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which he pretty much had nothing to do with. Charles Durning, again, I remember from Sharky's Machine. This guy can't help but to use all the actors that he has ever worked with, which, of course, is nice, which probably made him the greatest guy. Just bad choices. 1982, Best Little Whorehouse. That's pretty good. It's the number nine movie. It makes 69 million bucks. It doesn't make him like a huge star because E.T. was that year. This guy got so screwed by Steven Spielberg and uh, and uh, George Lucas. E.T., Tootsie is next, another comedy that does really well. Because there we go, I guess. I guess I'm just saying we haven't seen a lot of comedies do well. I got to look that up. An Officer and a Gentleman, Rocky Three, Porky's, oh my God, Star Trek Two, 48 Hours, Poltergeist, and then The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and then Annie. Jesus Christ. And it just pretty much ended. After that, he just made a lot of bad movies. I mean, if you want to play a case in point, well, why don't we just play this lovely trailer from uh, Rent-A-Cop with him and Liza Minnelli. Yeah. As love... Where's Mateo? Go. It was the perfect bust. Please! Until it went bust. It cost Tony Church his job. The history in this department. I'm out of here. Damn it, Church! What's the matter with you? You gotta move on. Those guys are dead. You're alive. No. That's not Santa. He's a fake. He's got a new career. Merry Christmas. But Liza. Church, rent-a-cop. And his first client is a rent-a-girl. Hello, sweetheart. And you brought your teddy. <laughs> the guy from the hotel who tried to kill me. Will he try it again? Don't touch me, lady! Don't shoot! You like this all the time because you're getting on my nerves. I bet you had a lot of dates with a lot of different girls when you were young. <laughs> ha! Now you believe me! What's the matter? I'm not used to caring. Neither am I. Burt Reynolds. Can't you just once do what I say without arguing? No. Liza Minnelli. What are you looking at? Nothing. James Remar. Richard Masser. No! 
Bernie Casey, Dionne Warwick, and Robbie Benson. Rent-A-Cop. Rent-A-Cop. Sometimes you have to go through a hell of a lot to find out what you're really good at. Rent-A-Cop will continue in a moment. Rated PG. Or was it rated R? Who cares? My, my. So... Oh, it's horrible to do a tribute to somebody and just tell them how much they suck. But, uh, I mean, he didn't suck. And that's the thing. It's like you have to understand how cool he was. And then he just made so many bad movies that you look at the career and you're like, is this what you wanted? R.I.P. Burt Reynolds, you were a super cool guy and uh, a lot of fun in the 70s and, you know, there it is. Apparently a very nice guy to everybody that knew him. And uh, and uh, Norm, Don- Norm McDonald does the greatest imitation of all time that nobody will ever understand. Because he had to be in it to win it. Um, moving on just uh, very quickly before we leave. Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City. I don't know if you are familiar with her, but she is running for governor of this lovely state of ours, New York State. Again, so somebody who I really can't stand, which they've hated all the Cuomos since they've uh, started office. Now, Andrew Cuomo, his father, Mario Cuomo, I really can't stand them as governors, uh, just put out a thing saying uh, Jews are horrible and Cynthia Nixon's uh, a horrible anti-Semite. Now, he's saying he didn't do it. It was an accident. But there's facts that his father did the exact same thing when he was running against Koch. Uh, hey, don't you, what do you want to vote for a homo in Koch? And he goes, no, I didn't send that. It's a classic Cuomo thing. He's sending out a bunch of stuff. No, I didn't send, that was an accident. That was not supposed to go out. That Cynthia Nixon is a a Jew hater, a classic Jew hater. Now, um, I don't for the life of me believe for a minute that Cynthia Nixon is an anti-Semite. I just, I refuse to believe it's just stupid. How can you know? First of all, how can an outspoken gay person be be mad at anybody? But I just, I just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I don't see her being a, a classic Jew hater. But something happened over the weekend after we got this note, and then people were checking in on her. She was at a a deli, a legendary deli here in New York City, Manhattan, and she ordered a bagel. With tomatoes, onions, lox, and cream cheese. Now, that is a normal deli bagel that we serve here in New York City, something I'm going to be eating on Yom Kippur if my doctor lets me with my new hair. Cream cheese, lox, onions, tomatoes. I mean, that sounds delicious if you're a Hebrew. However, Cynthia Nixon... And maybe this is where people are getting, well, I don't know. Put all that stuff, get ready to be grossed out on a cinnamon raisin bagel. What? A cinnamon raisin bagel with creep. Oh, Oh my God, that is so disgusting. That could make her a classic Jew hater. Because, Because if Cynthia Nixon is putting all that stuff at locks on a cinnamon raisin bagel... She's insane. I mean, that's ridiculous. Who would? That's disgusting. That is disgusting. 
I distinctly heard it. He muttered under his breath, Jew. No, I'm not. We were walking off the tennis court, and, you know, he was there, and me and his wife, and he looked at her, and then they both looked at me, and under his breath he said, Jew. <laughs> Alvy, you're a total paranoid. No, I'm not. Alvy, you're a total paranoid. I know we've been playing that clip two weeks in a row, but, I mean, there it is. She she completely ordered a bagel with cream cheese lux and, and, and then put it on a cinnamon raisin bagel. Max, you know what that means? It means she's an anti, a classic anti-Semite. Max, what's the matter with you? Anybody can put whatever they want on a bagel. That's the beauty of this country. No, it's completely wrong because you can't have this salty and sweet at the same time. It's, you know, it's either all or nothing. Max, it's a good name for you. You see conspiracy and everything. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Seinfeld one where they're making the pizza. You make your own pizza, but then the guy gets angry because Kramer wants to put cucumbers on You can't put the cucumbers on the pizza. Now, I hate that one because I see Poppy and I know he makes it in his pants and it makes me gross, but you can't put that. He doesn't wash his hands. Every time I see him, I'm like, ugh. You can't put a cucumbers on the pizza. That's not the way it works. That's the beauty. It's make your own pizza. It's kind of the same thing. Max, it's a free country. You can put whatever you want on a bagel. Or you can use whatever bagel you want on whatever. What am I saying? It's wrong, Max. Wrong classic Jew hater. And that, you know, little boy she's married to is horrible. I think that woman she's married to who looks like Jazz Bono, I think she's Jewish. That's what I heard, but I, I have no proof. Fake news, people. Fake news. I don't know why Cynthia Nixon just doesn't care. No, fake news. She should just go for it, too. Wouldn't that be funny if everybody, all the Democrats that are angry at Donald Trump just start doing that? You might as well. You might as well take a shot. Oh, that's fake news. It's so brilliant. And crazy and stupid at the same time. Um, don't forget Big Brother's Big Sister show on uh, October 24th. It is set. It is set in stone. Big Brothers, Big Sister, I'll, but I do not have anybody listed yet um, of who's playing. Nobody. Uh, I asked Jessica Curson to do it because I love her. And um, I'm going to have uh, this guy who's helping me, Steve Rogers, on it. Uh, I think I asked Sam Morell to do it. What I really want to do with Sam Morell is uh, have him on again. And I want him. I want him to be my... Whoever did, like, they, they, with Bob Hope would always interrupt somebody. So, like, because last year, remember, he got bumped by Jerry Seinfeld. So, if he, if he didn't care, I would love if we have a celebrity to come. We always have to bump Sam Morrell. I mean, that would be a classic bit. But I thought because we cut him short last time, we give him another chance. And tomorrow, this will have been already done when you hear this podcast, but I'm going to go see Norm MacDonald. And Caroline's going to ask him if he's around on October 24th. Would you please do this? Wonderful charity event. Still trying to get a date for the 200th podcast, which is coming up sooner than later at the Comedy Cellar. Uh, but they're having problems because they got this new Comedy Cellar show. And that is pretty much all we have to talk about today. Leaving, of course, with the Cannibal Run soundtrack, even though we just played it. But who cares? Say goodbye. Say goodnight. Okay, so here's the story. Tomorrow's Yom Kippur. I, at this moment in time, have gotten my hair transplants, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm still alive. Uh, I have no idea how I'm going to feel. I don't know. I assume I'm going to look like a monster. But I'm taking three days off. And then Thursday, I'm going back to work. 
Uh, but I'm planning to do a podcast taping tomorrow. When you hear this on Tuesday, I'm going to tape tomorrow on Yom Kippur because I'll have all day. And uh, try and explain it all, I guess. And then after next week, hopefully we can get things back to normal. We can bring in a couple of people. We can have some fun and games and nonsense and everything will be back to the fall the way we like it. Here in New York City on these beautiful fall days, even though everything sucks so far because it's been raining, but it's going to be beautiful tomorrow because the fall in New York City is the best. So hopefully I'll have more to report and more to tell you, and uh, hopefully you'll be as fascinated as I was with today's podcast with Burt Reynolds, as you will be with the hair information and all that kind of stuff coming up in the future, all in the life and times of Dave Juskow and the Nightfly Project podcast. I can't believe I didn't get out that last word. And I haven't even been drinking. Oh my god. And now I think I'm going to go have the rest of that uh, grandma pie. I can't stop thinking about it. I know it has some carbs. I've been trying not to eat carbs on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, but hey, what are you going to do, right? And remember, Puppet Picks is back, people. 3-0 and last week. 3-0! and Puppet Picks! All right, everybody, we'll see you next time on the Nightfly with Dave Trusco heading towards that 200th podcast. So, everybody, have a wonderful week and a great holiday if you are Hebrew. And even if you're not, just have a great time and, you know, appreciate the Jews and then, you know, appreciate our whininess and, and what we do and what we contribute to society, which is really not that much. But, you know, we, 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 we take care of all the money. This is what we do, so... Anyway, that's my story. Remember, there's a classic... Cynthia Nixon's a classic Jew hater. Max, stop it. She's not a Jew hater. I think she's married to a Jew. Relax, but I can't stop the imitation. All right, we'll see you next time, everybody. Good night. Yeah.